Hi, welcome to Leech Fest, a medical history podcast where you should go back and listen to the previous episode because this is part two of our episode on eating disorders. So if the opening here is a little bit weird, that's because we already did the opening over in part one. So go back there and, and listen to that one. And then you come back here and then you should ignore the bit I just said to, in order to listen to the rest of the episode. Um, I know it's a little complicated and confusing, but you can do it. Quick recap for episode one. We talked about what eating disorders are, causes, comorbidities, epidemiology, and Mia talked about early history. And then with this episode, what we're going to cover is modern history and then um, upcoming eating disorders. So as mentioned in the last episode, there's this sort of like fad around disordered eating pretty much uh, specifically in Europe and it's all happening in a religious context but this leads us to a man called Dr. James Reynold in the late 1600s who comes to the right conclusion about eating disorders for very wrong reasons Mm -hmm. um, because he's arguing that this is not a religious issue this is a medical issue something is wrong with these girls and the reason he comes to this conclusion is because he uh, he basically writes that he doesn't believe that God would put such a divine blessing on like these basic bitches. <laughs> like the, like he basically writes that like the, he, he doesn't understand why God would put such a blessing on people that aren't partic- religious, yeah. aren't particularly like, like pious, like mm-hmm. they're religious. Yeah. But like, they're not, they're not particularly like good people. Like they mm-hmm. haven't gone on and saved people. They're not saints. They're just like, just normal people mm-hmm. like this. God wouldn't do that, he argues. So therefore, they're sick. But And ever since this time, anorexia has been treated as a non-religious phenomenon. Or eating disorders generally have been, treating as, have been treated as a non-religious phenomenon. I mean, this obviously happens like because it's a bit of a fashion in the times with the, well, like the, the age of the Enlightenment coming up and so, things like that. Like, you know, we, we can't blame God for everything. We're like, science is important too. And it's around this time that the first descriptions of patients that fit descriptions of anorexia nervosa starts to appear in medical texts. And the first two come from the case studies of English physician Richard Morton, uh, and that is one man and one woman. And the woman sought help from the doctor after two years of suffering from the disease, like not eating uh, and suffering greatly from it and actually experiencing fainting fits frequently. Uh, Unfortunately, she refused any treatment, which might actually be just as well, because the treatment suggested was eating cloves soaked in wine, and she unfortunately died three months after seeking help. Mm-hmm. But there is some dispute amongst historians whether or not she uh, sought treatment and tried it, or whether or not she sought treatment and refused it initially. So it's a little bit, a little bit vague. Mm. Uh, beef among uh, the historians. Beef among the historians. Not really <laughs> beef, but just you know, vague disagreements. Um, but also, I think I've seen a picture. Of her. There's a... It, well, yeah. it's not a picture. It's an illustration. It might be of her, yeah. <clears throat> I I think it's of her. You know, I guess you don't know. But maybe I'll upload it to Patreon or mm-hmm. Twitter. I will definitely put it in the video uh, version. So if you... <laughs> If you want to see the picture, uh, support us on Patreon, or you can also just look up um, old illustration mm-hmm. woman with anorexia and yeah. you'll probably Richard find Morton patient description. <laughs> but if you want to save that effort, go to Patreon. Always on the grind. It will... You're in the grind set today. <laughs> um, the second patient was a man who also suffered from too much fasting, and he recovered after he was ordered to stop his studies, move to the country, and take up riding, which apparently cured him. And to be honest, that sounds like a lot like better treatment than eating like a grassy wine. Mm-hmm. That would cure all my all my ills. Like if <laughs> if a doctor was like, you should drop out. You should drop out of your master's program and just go to the countryside and ride horses all day and frolic in the fields. I generally think they'll cure all my mental illnesses. Doctors, I miss the time tre- doctors would like uh, prescribe time by the sea mm-hmm. as like a genuine treatment. Take in the fresh air. Just spend some time at the countryside. Yeah. Take walk. It's like, like, what are you going to do now? Take frequent walks. Okay. Where? In the polluted city? You would never hear I a doctor today. You would never. <laughs> I love frolic with the rats. Um, you would never hear a doctor today prescribe someone to quit their job, mm-hmm. even though that that would probably sometimes be probably be a good thing. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't hear that today. No. Why? Because capitalism has colonized the medical establishment. 
I, anyway. I will say, though, that one benefit with modern psychology and modern doctors <laughs> in general is you kind of know what to expect. That's true. Because, <laughs> um, like, two, these two treatments are very, very, very different. Widely different. So I do appreciate, like, being able to look up, like, <clears throat> treatment for, I don't know, like, treatment for depression. Um, you know, and then you're like, okay, well, you'll probably get antidepressants and they'll tell you to, like, eat healthy and work out. Yeah. Whatever. Then you go and that's what they tell you. I would be nervous as hell, like, <laughs> seeking help <laughs> from, like, a random doctor in the 16th century. Because, yeah. like, you might <laughs> time get... By, time you, by the sea? Asylum. <laughs> uh, ride horses? Um somebody will come and beat the shit out of you yeah. <laughs> every day for a month and that will cure you. Like, you never know. You never know. It's very swing and a miss mm -hmm. when it comes to, like, <laughs> this type of medication. <laughs> um, but the latter case is quite interesting because, like, today a lot of cases of eating disorder occur in patients with high stress levels and, like, burnout. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, one one course of treatment or, like, a part of treatment can be to, like, a, to transition into a lower stress environment. And that... That can be helpful. Mm -hmm. And it seems to have worked with this dude. He also drank a lot of wine as part of his treatment. Drinking wine seems to be like a very typical treatment. I saw another case study where the entire course of treatment was to drink one bottle of red wine a day. What was that for? For, for eating oh, for disorder. A, for, I mean... For excessive fasting. So you like... But that's not a solution. Because <laughs> you're just going to end up being wasted every day. I guess it has a lot of calories. Yeah, I think that's... But point. I don't think they knew about that. Did they know about that? Yeah. Do they know about calories? Yeah, I think so. Not necessarily about like what a calorie is, but like, you know, some things do cause weight. Yeah. Hmm. Now, Dr. Morton attributed this excessive fasting to either melancholy, like being being bummed out due to uh, your inside juices being unbalanced, because it's, you know, humoral theory is still kind of around. Uh, and fasting was seen as a symptom of that rather than as a diagnosis, like in and of itself. But he would also see it as a subtype of consumption uh, or tuberculosis. Uh, seemingly on vibes alone, because I guess they have similar symptoms and germ theory hasn't wasn't mm. like a huge thing for him yet. And at this point, eating disorders are labeled like in a, in a medical setting, uh, but not a lot of research is being done. Uh, not a lot of studies are happening during this time. The years pass and the patients who are mentioned are often treating with drinking a lot of alcohol as treatment. But... It will take until the 19th century until we really start, like, documenting the field properly. We have this common issue in medical history that, that comes up here, too, which is how do we define a certain set of symptoms as one type of disease? Because, as you say, there are, there are multiple symptoms and there are multiple, like, sets of behaviors when it comes to eating disorders, some of which overlap, some of which don't. Mm. So, like, where do you draw the line of, like, this is mm. anorexia, this is bulimia, should there be like two types of anorexia or should there be that? So it's a, it's a little bit chaotic. And, th and this is sort of the issue where we ha that we have here too, where people will come up with like their own ideas about eating disorders and try to make them popular and then they will fall out of favor and like new ones will come in. And because of this, during this time, we end up with multiple types of eating disorders, uh, which is frustrating <laughs> when you're trying to write a script about them. Number one. <laughs> Bino. <laughs> Number one, you got anorexia for religious uh, reasons. Reason. Number two, you got eat. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Number four, bulimia. <laughs> well, like, this is kind of the problem that we have. Many of these eating disorders describe nervousness in the historical context as being the cause of being unable to eat, with many patients describing that the food simply wouldn't go down uh, and that they were physically unable to, like, fit the food in their mouth or like in like being un being unable to swallow and during this time like they don't know if it's a psychological thing or a biological thing right but a lot of autopsies and like medical examinations can't find a biological cause for any of these issues so the the very first like gut instinct is to say that this is a that this is a nervous disorder like a mental thing uh, rather than anything physical but they're looking for it one type was cytophobia or fear of food which was commonly found in mental patients from a silence. The fact that the patients wouldn't eat was commonly seen as then uh, as a secondary like symptom of like whatever whatever reason they were in the asylum in the first place. So like if you're clinically insane and you don't eat, that's because you're clinically insane. <laughs> like it's not seen as a separate diagnosis. 
So cytophobia is like a symptom rather than a diagnosis. Uh, but there's also chlorosis, meaning green, which could either refer to the greenish tinge of skin that people would get, uh, or to the fact that the patients were typically very young, as in green, like you're green, uh, and referred to lethargy, weakness, loss of appetite, headaches, and more. And when blood tests would become available, they would see that many of these girls were also anemic. Uh, and then the disease then became called chloronemia, which is, uh, it sounds like a name that you, you don't want to have that disease, chloronemia. <laughs> it's like chlorine. And while this disease was prevalent in the 19th century, it basically vanished as its own thing after the First World War. But modern historians are arguing that chlorosis was actually one big umbrella name for two distinct types of eating disorders. Well, one eating disorder and one not eating disorder, but that they would just be coupled together. And one of them was more referential to what we would call like typical anorexia that would primarily affect younger girls and would include things like social withdrawal and pica, which is where you have like a desire to eat things that aren't food. Uh, yeah, that's that's another eating disorder. I haven't mentioned it, but it's yeah, like you say, people just eat <clears throat> non-food items like um, glue, drywall, chalk. Chalk, chalk is very common. Yeah, um, like paper towels mm -hmm. is pretty common. It's very common with like pregnant women too. Right? Yeah, pregnant they, women. It's associated mm -hmm. with like nutrient deficiencies. And yeah, this would be like one symptom of like the first type of chloronemia, um, and the second type would affect older working class women. Who were just anemic, like just anemic, not necessarily like eating disorder related at all, uh, even though like anemia is also a common symptom because you don't eat properly. But how we ended up with the name anorexia specifically happened in 1873 when Dr. William Gull, actually the private physician of Queen Victoria, uh, published a paper Anorexia Nervosa and described the disease and he is widely credited with coining the term and describing the disease as we would understand it today. Ideas of like self self perception, like viewing the body in a way that's not necessarily true, objectively true, things like that. And he is sometimes credited as being like the first person who sort of like nailed what anorexia is in describing it, and he coined the term right. But a few years before him, in 1859, a French doctor called Louis Victor Marc held a lecture to a medical society and described a group of young women who arrive at a delirious conviction that they cannot or ought not to eat and essentially described the exact same disease. So, like, Gull didn't invent the description necessarily or, like, describe it perfectly the first time himself, but it's around this time anyway that, like... the People start, like, figuring it out. Exactly. And because autopsies can't find any physical irregularities, it's very quickly seen as a psychiatric issue rather than a biological one. They can't find the, like anorexia germ. However, in 1919, some doctors call attention to the similarity of the cachexia found in anorexia nervosa and in women who were found to have atrophy of the pituitary gland at post-mortem examination. And cachexia is the syndrome of bones and muscles wasting, like mm. like the, the reduction of, of bone, bone muscles. Mass, yeah. Bone um, muscle. <laughs> bone muscle. I, I love, love bone muscles. my bone muscle. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, like the the the, the way that it atrophies is very similar in these two, mm. in these two types of patients, and this led doctors to see it as an endocrinological issue, and treatment quickly shifted again, but this time to hormone treatments because they thought it was like a hormonal issue, and then this became the mainstream like view of anorexia and, and eating disorders generally, where doctors would like try to come up with various types of hormone treatments to try to help people with like eating disorders, obviously not to great success. And it was the mainstream view until 1948, when two doctors, Sheenan and Summers, carefully compared the symptoms and saw that actually patients of anorexia and patients with pituitary atrophy don't actually have the same symptoms at all. So they fucked up. The entire, like, the entire category of eating disorders was like in the wrong field of medicine. But after all of this, the issue was sent back to psychiatry. But this is the psychiatry of the 1940s. You know what that means? It's psychoanalysis time and Freudian analysis, which is oftentimes wrong, uh, which means that the cause of anorexia is now seen under the lens of psychoanalysis. And three doctors lay up this new explanation of anorexia. Uh, they're called Waller, Kaufman, and Deutsch, and their theory is that it originates from an oral fixation, not being able to handle puberty well, obsessive modes of thought, 
and reduced sexual libido. And There's always a sexual element. There's always a sexual element. If oh, it, if it gets worse. It gets so much worse. It gets so much fucking worse. Because they also theorize that uh, a trauma to young girls during puberty can make them regress further into oral fixation and create an unconscious wish for oral impregnation, which then the rest of the psyche wants to defend itself against, and that anorexia develops as a defense mechanism against that fear. Now... Cursed. Oral impregnation, for those of you who don't know, is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's, it's an irrational fear that you can become pregnant through the mouth. And this is one of the reasons why like, like young children, specifically like young girls, sometimes think that you can become pregnant by kissing. Like it's, it, it, it has that thing. And actually, oral impregnation fears is a real thing that young girls have. Because they don't understand sex, but they don't understand pregnancy. And they interact with the world primarily through the mouth. And so like for, for and so for a very short amount of time, like this weird logic of children is mouth, pregnancy, yeah, they're gotta be connected, right? Is it I don't um, know what you mean by interact with the world through the mouth. <laughs> but maybe Well, you know how babies like put things in their mouth to like feel the texture of it and okay. like they eat a lot. They okay, so I guess sp- it depends. speaking happens a lot through the mouth, mm-hmm. obviously. I guess it depends on how young we're spe- we're we're talking here when you say young girls because I was also thinking that you know you know pregnancy but adults don't like people, adults don't like have sex in front of children but mm-hmm. they do kiss exactly so maybe that's also like a thing that yeah you like kids start associating pregnancy with one of the few like like, like intimate things intimate that you things see, that they yeah. see between adults so mm-hmm. maybe that's yeah and that 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 might be part of it. Too, for mm-hmm. sure. But like it's, it leads to this sort of like unconscious idea that you can become pregnant through the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then their theory then is that like the, the rest of the psyche goes like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> that's bad. Fuck that. And that's why the like, and, that, and that's why you, you create sort of this defense mechanism of like blocking off and putting anything in your mouth. Because if nothing can get in your mouth, you can't get pregnant. And it's this sort of like, it's a disordered type of thinking, right? But like that's sort of like how how their theory works. This theory has gotten some criticism, to say the least. For one, it only focuses on the psyche of young girls and doesn't include men's psyche into the analysis of anorexia. And doctors found in the 70s that if you do if you do sort of like examinations of patients who have anorexia, try to like chart out sort of their subconscious fears and things like that. A lot of them just don't have this irrational fear of oral impregnation because you can check if people have that and it doesn't correlate with eating disorders at all. So it's, it's bunk. It's complete bullshit. It's completely horseshit. Um, sure. I mean, <clears throat> I guess like an argument here would be that it's unconscious and also like, is there a reliable way, way to map out unconscious thoughts and fears? It's but like especially in the forties, like well in the for- I mean? like, in the forties, because more, they didn't yeah. find it then doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I'm not I'm not like arguing for <laughs> the existence of like a fear of oral impregnation as a cause for anorexia, mm-hmm. but I'm just saying like. But this was in the seventies. I don't try- okay in the seventies. So but still like yeah, there's there are ways to sort of explore that avenue with patients and see there- like if there is if that is an element of fear. Hmm. Um, like you, I mean, you can test. You can test sort of like I don't have to tell you that I have an uh, that I have a fear of spiders, for example. But you, you can very easily test sort of like a normal person's response to spiders or the mm. concept of spiders okay. or like elements of spiders, and then my response to elements of spiders. And you can like test, you know, my fear response. You can test like pupil dilation. You can test That's uh, heart rates and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can see sort of like okay, this thing is this thing is bad vibes. <laughs> this thing is fine. Fair. Um, so there there are some ways to to sort of test that um, psychology students if there's one thing psychology students love to do it is putting up notes in their dorms being like hey we need 10 people to do an experiment on (laughs) come and you get a movie ticket and then doing experiments on each other so they figure out all sorts of ways to do that I mean, now they have like MRI scanners and stuff like that. I did that actually when I oh, did for studied brain psych- imaging, right? Yeah, because like I did, I did one of those studies um, when I was a, when I studied psychology for like, for one term and failed. Um, and like like you know you you get to be in an MRI machine and they scan your brain while you look at pictures of like flowers and puppies and spiders and flowers <laughs> and like baking baking goods and a tree and spiders <laughs> and butterflies and you know insects and spiders and they get to sort of you get to sort of like 
do that. I also had like a button that where I could choose to look at more spiders, and I would get like five crowns extra in payment if I looked at more spiders. Because I think they were also checking sort of like the reward mechanism and like how much you could push through the fear and how that would impact the brain. Did you make a lot of money? Oh yeah, I was I was broke student. I would I would look at a thousand spiders. I would let spiders crawl on me for five more crowns. <laughs> that shit's lunch. I was a broke I was a broke as college student. I needed that money. Suckers. <laughs> Easiest fifty crowns you've ever made in your life. <laughs> Ooh, good money. How much did you make? I think it was, I think I got like a hundred fifty bucks in total. Holy shit! Because you also got like ba- I you think looked the base at 300, amount. 300, 300 spiders. I looked at a lot of spiders. Not that many, but I looked at a lot of spiders. It took like a whole day too. No, it took two days actually. Two days of going to look at spiders. Two days and two nights. And just clicking the just button. Just clicking spiders and showing me more spiders. <laughs> oh, fuck, I hate that. Oh, oh God. Fuck crowns off. Fuck crowns off. It's good. But it's around this time when people are debunking the idea of like oral impregnation fears, where they develop the modern view of anorexia, where doctors view that patients typically have a much stronger fear of being fat than anything else. Um, and they have a disordered view of their own bodies and that that could be like a cause for this, this fear of being fat. And that that is like a huge, uh, like a much more significant aspect of, of anorexia than anything else. Uh, which honestly, like if is a bit more straightforward, like you have, like person doesn't want to be fat, so they don't eat. Why, why, why are you, why are you coming in here with like oral impregnation things? Like no one, no one mentioned oral impregnation. <laughs> No one mentioned, like... That sounds like a you problem, right? <laughs> like Walter Kaufman and Deutsch or whatever. Like, the, you, you guys are weird. Like, but was Freud involved in this? No, this is way later. Oh. It's, 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 oh, so it's, it's based on his ideas, it's but it's not... It's based on psychoanalysis, which is like yeah. a Freudian sort of idea. I'm, bl- I'm blaming him still. Oh, we, for sure we can. Because <laughs> he said psych, uh, psychiatrical science, like, back 100 years, um, having weird fucking ideas. He didn't. He contributed a lot. But still, he's kind of a piece of shit. Anti-Freud action. <laughs> But, you know, with, with modern techniques, we've also, you know, discovered more connections with how eating disorder, like, work within the brain and, like, how it works with genes. And there are some theories now that, like, anorexia might be a, like, a biologically based mental illness, much like schizophrenia, uh, that there might be some, like, brain connections that are, that are, that are to blame. And, and, and as mentioned earlier, there's also, like, an established link between class and anorexia. Uh, which is being more common with like middle class and upper class people than working class people, um, and that there is a link between anorexia and social relations, mm-hmm. which are like like the class aspect and the social aspect and like the brain aspect. Like those are pretty like new developments within like the science of eating disorders. Because like as I mentioned, it took until like the nineteen seventies until we even started to like debunk like pretty basic bad ideas about how it was and like just now starting to find a good theoretical framework for how an eating disorder actually works it also becomes more complicated because it seems that eating disorders can change over time on different social circumstances which just make everything doesn't make everything more difficult right because a virus is a virus and it's going to act the same way no matter like what social circumstances that you're in but like an eating disorder a society that has a lot of like beauty in advertising and a society that doesn't have that, it, people are going to develop differently psychologically and that's going to impact like, you know, mental illness uh, issues as well. So like, and that changes over time, you know, mm-hmm. so like we could create the perfect like framework for how like eating disorders work and then society can change and then science has to like keep up with it, mm-hmm. uh, which makes the whole thing even more difficult. So basically the reasons behind like eating disorders, like you mentioned earlier, it's like, it's hella complicated. And the fact that there are, that there are social circumstances that change everything, make it even more complicated. Because I love mental illness. I love it. It's so complicated. How, how complicated it is and how difficult it is to diagnose mm-hmm. or do like anything about it. Yeah. I can't wait until like a hundred years from now and we live in a post-apocalyptic theocracy and suddenly holy anorexia is back, but like beauty standard anorexia is gone and suddenly that scene is outdated. Mm-hmm. You may have noticed that a lot of eating disorder talk revolves around fitness and women. And this is because historically eating disorders have been considered the most gendered of all psychiatric disorders. Like you said, like mostly like it wasn't even considered that anorexia may be a disorder affecting men. It yeah. was always like, oh, 
Girls. Girls suffer from it. Yeah. Like my whole segment was like scientists always studied girls, basically. Like yeah. they would have individual male patients, but like anytime they tried to like chart out any of the studies, it was like girls, girls, mm-hmm. girls. And this actually lasted until pretty recently. In the 90s, for example, it was commonly thought that men accounted for only one in 10 of eating disorder cases. And it's only quite recently that evidence started suggesting that men actually composed one in four of eating disorder cases. But anyway, a reason for why we keep thinking this, uh, for why we keep associating eating disorders with fitness and with women, is because most research focuses on anorexia, and because anorexia is, like, it continues to be considered a female condition. We did mention earlier that women um, compose most of anorexia cases, but a complicating factor to that is that men um, are sometimes explicitly excluded from studies because people think that, well, it's mostly a female condition. So it's kind of like a a vicious cycle of, like, misconceptions causing... Like, bad studies. Bad studies, bad data, and it just kind of, like, gets worse and worse. Yeah. Another thing is that ED behaviors are not the same in men and women, and this has made it so that diagnostic and treatment approaches are tailored for female patients. So men might not be diagnosed as often because the diagnostic procedures are made for women and not men, and men might not benefit from treatment options, so then maybe men won't seek help as much as women do. So like you say, like you you see, it's kind of a complicated issue, as it always is. A major difference between behaviors in men and women is that while women typically try to achieve the thin body ideal, the male body ideal focuses on leanness combined with muscularity, which causes very different ED behaviors. This ideal leads to the development of maladaptive behaviors like rigid dieting and eating routines, over-exercising, extreme focus on appearance, which is common in women too. But another maladaptive behavior that is a bit more common in men is the use of anabolic steroids and performance enhancers to achieve that muscular look. Roids. <laughs> What's also interesting about muscularity-oriented disordered eating as opposed to other thinness focused disorders, is that there is a double and somewhat contradictory goal. Um, Like I said, the muscularity and also the leanness, which are achieved by doing very different things. And this leads to oscillatory patterns between bulking and cutting. Um, This is something that like most people know. So bulking is when you bulk up and cutting is when you like get skinny. So if you don't know, bulking involves overeating, focusing on protein, Uh, timing meals strictly usually you hear like people say that you should eat every three hours some people even wake up at night to eat during the night so that so that the body doesn't like consume the existing muscle for energy Um, which is insane which is insane consuming very specific types of protein like really lean protein and and others but the, the what what happens is that bulking often results in increased adiposity in addition to muscularity because you have to eat in in surplus right so of course you're going to gain a bit of weight yeah which causes people to be unhappy with the increase in body fat because it, it you know it makes them big it makes the muscle not be as visible yeah um and then they cut where they reduce they they restrict their food they reduce their calories to so like they, get rid of the fat but not the, the muscle exactly. so they get more like muscle definition exactly which is only really for aesthetic because i think we we haven't mentioned this like so far i think but like when you look at like because like there's like a, there's like aestheticness mm-hmm. and there's sort of like strength like mm-hmm. actual strength mm-hmm. building. Because like if you like a strongman competitions, they they're are, big they lads. Are. Yeah, they're big, and they 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 always have like a like they're like a bit gut. like muscular. Yeah, they're they're muscular, but they're also they they have a little blubber, you know. Yeah, you gotta have a little blubber. Um, yeah, so it's definitely for aesthetic reasons, but basically. At this stage, like the cutting stage, people become more lean, but that also inevitably leads to a loss in muscle. Yeah. So then they think, oh, well, now I'm too small and now then they bulk, bulk again. So it's like this repetitive cycle where they're always like unhappy with the way they look. Yeah, yeah, it's like, that's actually quite common in like modeling too, mm-hmm. actually. I just remembered this from like... Your old modeling days? Yeah, but I just remember specifically from like male models, mm-hmm. like because they would do this a lot. Like, you know, they, they, they bulk a lot during like off season and then when like fashion week is coming in, they're just cutting... And they're always insecure about how they look. They're always, like, super... They're always disappointed with how they look, no matter how they look, even though like many people look fine. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of men, I've been mentioning men a lot in this section because this kind of disorder 
has traditionally been affecting men. And the reason for that is that the male body hasn't really changed over time. Like the, the, the male body ideal, I mean, it hasn't changed a lot over time, not as much as the female body ideal, at least not recently. So in the past 40 years in the West, the male body ideal has been like muscular, tall, lean, where for women, like if you, if you think Changes about it, once a week, it, it like it's, 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 it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, big ass is popular one week, big tits are popular another yeah, week, yeah. leanness is popular another week, so, super skinny. So in the 70s and the 80s, you know, it was like the, the body trend for women was aerobics, mm-hmm. athletic. Then in the 90s, it was heron chic, super skinny, like looking sickly. Then in the 2000s, it was fit, but not too muscular, like a little bit, a little bit of, of a butt, but not too much mm-hmm. and like big, big breasts. 2015 uh kardashians come in and then it's all about being curvy having a big big butt like very curvaceous Mm -hmm. body type um then a few years ago um weightlifting and like muscularity Mm -hmm. like became popular for women so then like you know women would lift heavy weights and like they would look very muscular um and then very recently super skinny is coming in again like early 2k fashion has had a big like renaissance mm-hmm. <laughs> lately so super skinny is is popular again and also i don't know if you're noticing but body trends are like just like fashion they're cyclical they're changing yeah well yeah but they're also changing faster and faster yeah uh, which is really scary because you can't i mean you can't go from like muscular <laughs> like you're working out for years you, you know you're super muscular and then you're you can't just change you can't your just body change yeah. your body to becoming like super skinny the next year and then like put on a lot of weight to be curvaceous like you can't put your body for that no i mean it's just it's just ridiculous but anyway what i'm trying to say is that while this muscularity oriented eating disorder has mostly been applying to men now that women are also really getting into weightlifting it's a it's it's applying to women as well this is especially reflected in professional bodybuilding which has also been increasing in popularity over the past few decades in both men and women. This is partly due to increased use of social media, but but also the development of more divisions, which appeal to a larger number of people. Traditionally, there was only men's bodybuilding. Then the first female bodybuilding competition was held at YMCA in the late 70s. And now there is women's bikini figure... (laughs) fitness, physique, and bodybuilding, as well as men's physique, classic physique, and bodybuilding. Please notice that there's more subdivisions for women than men. So while casual gym goers are affected by muscularity-oriented eating disorders as well, it's very, very prevalent in people who do it professionally since they're usually super passionate about it. It's So it, they make a living they're very Yeah, they make a living, but they're, like, they're very involved. You have to be very passionate because it's also very competitive. And like you say, they make a living, so... Yeah, you gotta you gotta be good if you want to pay your bills. And it's very normalized too, because like people will post pictures of like bodybuilding competitions and be like, "Oh, look, that's so cool!" But like, that's not a healthy body. Oftentimes, no. like especially when they're like hyper and it's very hyper defined. Yeah, uh, and it's very glamorized also. Yeah, but what I was gonna say is that like what's really disturbing is that ED disorder or ED behaviors are so normalized that they're considered a requirement for competing. So I mentioned the bulk and cut method, mm-hmm. um, the compulsive calorie and macronutrient tracking. And like those things are so normal that like basically you, you like that's just part of it. Like you're, that's what you have to do like at like a minimum. Nobody ever thinks of those things as like a as disordered eating. It's just what you do. But then, you know, people who compete also have to work out a lot, yeah. obviously. So it's grueling long hours in the gym, up to three to four hours a day. Obsessing weighing and body checking and progress monitor monitoring in the form of progress pictures and regular measurements. And of course, the use of anabolic steroids and performance enhancers, which are widely prohibited, but also everybody does them. Yeah. Um, and then the eating is... <laughs> I looked at a few... Examples of diets for competitor competitors, and it's messy, folks. And it's messy, and sometimes like sometimes I get like TikToks where people show what they eat like mm-hmm. off season and in in season, and also for bulking and cutting. And it's also it's it's just like, do you all think this is normal? <laughs> it's not healthy for the human animal. No, but just sort of the, the fact that it's so normalized 
really gets to me. So um, I'm going to give you a few examples of what people on prep eat. So like preparing for the competition. Mm -hmm. uh, not, not gate prep. Not for us. That's not, what, <laughs> that's not what it means for us. Another type of prep. So talking about diets, you know, trigger warning. Like if you don't want to listen to this, just skip ahead like 20 seconds, maybe a minute. I don't know. But um, so the first example. So the person wakes up at seven o'clock. They eat eight egg whites and one egg yolk. Nothing else. Delicious. <clears throat> Before they train, they take their supplementation, uh, obviously like hella powders and pills, no food, uh, and after training as well, more powders, more pills. At noon, 200 grams of chicken. At 5 p.m., 180 grams of tuna with a salad. And then in the evening, 200 grams of white fish. So there's no carbs. There's like barely yeah. any fat. Yeah. It's just a lot of lean protein. It's just lean protein and like powders. Yeah. Great. Um, another example, at 8 o'clock, cake of egg yolk, vi vitamins and coffee. And this is not the the type of cake that people no. eat. It's, so like a cake of egg yolk just means like no oil. You just put a bunch of egg yolks in a little like, mm -hmm. like what's it called? A mannequin? No, ramekin? Ramekin? No like a little form, whatever, you bake it. And yeah. then it's just like cooked egg yolks. Yeah. Uh, vitamins and coffee. At 11, 250 grams of chicken and 10 almonds. 10 specifically. Just 10? 10. No more. No less. At 1 p.m., 200 grams of steak. And also, again, 10 almonds. Before training, 200 grams of chicken, 10 almonds. And after training, 300 grams of cold fish with vegetables. So the second example is a bit more... It's a bit more lenient, <laughs> I guess. slightly more like, acceptable slightly better. for the human body. But um, like 30 almonds, a lot of meat. And some vegetables. Like, yeah, that's not again, really... like, no, no carbs, very lean protein. Very little fat. Very little fat. Yeah. And these uh, examples are for men mm -hmm. who also work out a lot. Obviously, like, this is very little food. And this is why a lot of competitors also report extensive binge episodes immediately after competitions, which tend to last for weeks and which lead to rapid weight gain, as well as difficulties returning to intuitive, like, normal eating. And like this makes perfect sense because they starve themselves for weeks. For I think prep is usually eight to ten weeks or something like that. So that's like you know over two months of starving. Well, yeah, yourself. of like not not getting enough food. Yeah, so your body just takes over. Yeah, <laughs> it's like okay, bitch. Like clearly you don't know what you're doing. Like I'm gonna. Yeah, I need to step in. Um, so then they, you know, they binge. Yeah, and again, like sometimes I get TikToks where people show. Like what they binge eating. after. Yeah. No, they show themselves e eating like immediately after the competition. And it's so fucking sad because you see these like It's like skinny, seeing a, like an animal. Like a yeah. like a like a starving dog. Starving dog, like finally getting some food after not eating for weeks. And it's just like I really I hate bodybuilding competition competitions. I think it's just so so it's so upsetting to see. Yeah. Um so of course the anxiety and the body dysmorphia is always present and also like never ending body dissatisfaction. Um, I'm going to tell you some quotes from competitors and future competitors just to see just, just a bit of insight and in how they feel about this. So somebody says, we perceive ourselves as never good enough. That's why we are always looking to gain more muscle. Somebody else says, there's always something wrong. I'm eternally dissatisfied. Another thing that's also often reported is feeling too small in the sport context and too big in daily life. Mm. And here's a quote from, from somebody that I actually found really heartbreaking. Um, it goes like this. Sometimes I perceive myself as thin. Sometimes I'm too fat. In stores, it's unbearable, so I stay outside. You do not know where to go. I do not fit between shelves or through some doors. Mm. I mean, it's not fucking worth it. No, it's not worth it at all. Okay, the second thing that I wanted to talk about is orthorexia and toxic wellness, which is another up-and-coming eating disorder uh, because we live in a society. It's on the roster. It's on the roster. So stay tuned. Orthorexia is very new, and it's even still debated whether it's even an eating disorder, and it's not even in the DSM yet. It's hot off the presses. <laughs> hot off the press. It's also not been recorded in history, while most other classic eating disorders have, because it's so new. Um, it's called orthorexia. Do you, do you know what orthorexia is? No. Um, so it's basically defined as an unhealthy preoccupation with health, 
healthy eating in particular, though it's often combined with other lifestyles meant to improve and maximize health, like yoga, exercise, cleansing procedures. Juice cleanses. <laughs> Juice cleanses, but also um, like colon cleanses. Colon cleanses yeah. Don't do that. Like, don't do that. Um, alternative healing and so on. So they're they're often connected to like white people interpretations of like Eastern religions. Yeah. Um, there's definitely like a, there's often, not always, but there's often like a spiritual element associated yeah. with them. Um, and while there's nothing wrong with healthy living or healthy eating, people who suffer from orthorexia tend to become consumed by the lifestyle where any deviation from the routine causes stress and anxiety and becomes almost a moral failure. Yeah. Like people hold themselves to like, like a almost impossible standard and like, like, I've seen the people on TikTok, like, have panic attacks over the fact that, like, they wanted, like, a piece of cake once or something. So yeah. something that, like, didn't fit in sort or, of, like, the healthy norm. Yeah, or they have to go out with friends and everybody wants to go to a restaurant that is not, like, super healthy and won't accommodate their yeah. eatings or eating habits. And then they bring their own food in a container. Like, people can be really... Yeah intense about it yeah um and again normalized because health who doesn't want to eat healthy yeah. like what's wrong with healthy eating and what's interesting about orthorexia compared to other eating disorders is that while usually in eating disorders there's almost like a disregard towards bodily needs you know with anorexia like as long as you're skinny it, yeah. the, the person doesn't care what they actually do to their body but in orthorexia people are too preoccupied with finding the exact macro and micronutrient formula that will cure all their ails and bring them to optimal, maximal health. If you eat the right thing, you will be the perfect health. <laughs> the, you may not like it, but you will reach. Like optimum. Optim optim they're trying to optimize the body, basically. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of differences between anorexia and orthorexia, mostly in their intense rigidity, obsessive nutrient planning and counting, um, intense exercise routines, but also their goals. So orthorexics usually cite health as a reason for their lifestyle, but being thin is implicit because in the West, being thin and being fit is seen as healthy. Is is like equivalent to health. Yeah. And being overweight is associated with ill health. So in a sense, orthorexia is the new anorexia, except it's more socially acceptable because. At this point, it's kind of socially unacceptable to say that you're dieting because you want to lose weight. Mm -hmm. But nobody's going to bat an eye if you say that you're... I'm trying to eat healthy. That, yeah, that you're trying to eat healthy and you're following this like really strict and rigid eating routine because you want to be healthy. Yeah. So orthorexia, just like most other eating disorders, are caused by a desire for control over one's life. The desire to achieve perfect optimal health... But also, ironically, a latent conformism to socially accepted forms of beauty, especially thinness, that are concealed by healthy eating and living. Yeah, like you said, like it's a social, it's a socially acceptable type of like anorexia, basically. It's a socially acceptable eating disorder. Great, <laughs> great. But this new type of eating disorder is also very much fed into by neoliberalism and consumerism. <laughs> Anti-capitalism, baby. And it can be complicated in some cases by risk aversion and increasing distrust in government and regulatory agencies. <laughs> Big pharma. <laughs> Big pharma. So They're putting chemicals in the water that turn the freaking frogs gay. <laughs> so in my experience, from, from my extensive research on TikTok... <laughs> No, okay, look, this is just like... Half of the research I do for my videos is based on TikTok at this point. So I yeah, go for it. TikTok is a valid form of research. I support you. It is not. I would just like to have it on record that Mia is joking. But um, I'm pretty interested in what people eat. I don't know. That's Yeah, you have a micro-obsession with, like, with other people's eating habits. I have a micro-obsession with other people's business in general. That's true. I am so fucking nosy. I have to stop you from looking into other people's windows. Do not say that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I... I just think orthorexia is interesting, and so you know, I like I watch YouTube, and often it. You just think it's neat. I just think it's neat. Anyway, I often <laughs> get YouTube videos from people with orthorexia, and from what I've noticed, there are two types of orthorexics. There's the crunchy orthorexics who are mostly concerned about health and fitness, but that's mm -hmm. that's a that's a tangent. 
and they're typically paranoid about toxins and poisons in the environment, in the water, in the food, <laughs> who denounce mainstream scientific and medical mm -hmm. knowledge. Distrust they put fluoride in the water, you know. They, yeah, distrust doctors and pharmaceutical industries, homeschool their kids and make their own clothes. That that type of person. Yeah, we we know the type. Mm -hmm. The other type of forexic is the person who gets up at 4 a.m. to go to the gym and journal, takes cold showers, <laughs> has free businesses, drop shipping, yeah. she in water bottles on all, all Etsy. Grind set. The grind set, yeah. What's that guy from American Psycho? Um, what's, what, his what's his name? But like the guy. Yeah, you know you that know, guy. You know the guy. So for this person, health is capital. Just like their time, skills, energy, relationships, looks, everything. Like that, every everything about them is capital, and they yeah. are, by God, they are committed to increasing it. Do you ha did you see the person on TikTok that talked about developing your what what was it about De developing your so yeah so social capital or whatever it was? no it's um what was it's it? called identity capital identity capital that's uh your, your personality. personality you have to develop it to maximize to like su to succeed in life you yeah. have to think about these things it's your identity capital yeah um, you have to have high value identity capital mm -hmm. what are you talking about <laughs> i'm going to come after you with a bat <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? Be a person. <laughs> um, I fucking hate grindset people. Like, I hate I capitalism know. so much that it's infiltrated. The, it's colonized the way we view our personalities. Yeah, like, there's, not, there's nothing left for you to just... There, there's no room for you to just be as just a human, exist. as a person. Everything about you has to be maximized, mm. capitalized, uh, increased, used... You, be on the grind set. Be on the grind set. Yeah, capitalism is a whole thing of brain worms. <clears throat> yeah, and we, we can dig into that too much. And this person, uh, actually feel bad for them because I think they're very troubled. Yeah. And it makes me really sad to see that be glamorized. And like, yeah, I mean, it's just gonna... Anyway, it doesn't matter. I think we can... I think also... I, th I just think that like... I I think it's fair of us to criticize people normalizing this unhealthy yeah, behavior. Yeah, sure. Like, obviously, I think it's, it's one thing to sort of think that that is... Like it, it is a mental illness in, mm -hmm. in many people. Like, it is for sure. It's and, a mental and illness like to be like that. And but and but like and they need they need help. If you have a mental illness, right? We can't like we can't like harp on you because like you're sick, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're if you're making content out of it and you're trying to sort of like norm, you're trying to normalize that behavior, then I'm going to come after you with a bat. Yeah, I mean, I think this is kind of a complicated conversation because the person obviously doesn't think it's a mental illness. Yeah. Mental il illness, they just think they're helping other people reach their true potential <laughs> and succeed in life. So I don't know. But I do think that this person, I think they're troubled. But yeah. I want to focus on the first type of person because I find them a bit more interesting. Mm. And From an eating disorder perspective, from an they eating fit disorder, a bit better, I guess. From an eating disorder perspective, but I just think that because of like the tendency to believe in conspiracy theories and spread conspiracy theories and like just distrust for the government of the government mm -hmm. and like regulatory agencies i just think that person is maybe a little bit more dangerous yeah for sure um, people who like distrust the fda because it's the fda people who don't vaccinate themselves or their kids yeah. and do like bleach enemas <laughs> to cure autism that's not a thing it's for sure a thing. no bleach Okay, but at that point you're just fucking stupid. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if oh, if you think, if, yeah. listen, okay, if you think tap water is poison, but you think bleach enemas, like bleach up your ass, is a is a good solution. At that point you're just fucking stupid. So, um, have we not mentioned this before? So, so I um, there's a subreddit. It's called I think it's called uh, Moms on Facebook or something. Anyway, it's about oh I've seen yeah. that subreddit. So they do bleach enemas to treat autism. And they think that, and like stuff comes out. <laughs> of course, trigger Sh shit will come out. No, it's not shit. It's um, pieces of skin. But they think they think it's parasites. But it's literally like tissue breaking off and yeah. coming coming out. Yeah. And they think it's a good thing because then the parasites are getting like flushed out. So I think the this internet was a mistake. <laughs> so I think that. Um, yeah, it's just, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, and they're spreading misinformation. And like, anyway, let's move past the bleach enemas and let's talk about this person's orthorexia. I'm never going to be able to move past bleach enemas, just so you know, like on a personal, spiritual, like, like religious level. I'm going to, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night and just like, <laughs> because I'm imagining getting a bleach enema. Um, okay. So, okay. So this person, 
they are orthorexic, oftentimes. But for them, general lifestyle is like, you know, they have like these eating habits, but they also have a lot of like other lifestyle things that they do that all contribute or are caused by their distrust in mainstream society. So for them, health is not just the absence of illness, it's the reduction of risk factors that can lead to illness because they think everything around them is a risk factor. But the problem with our bodies is that they are very opaque in the sense that we don't really know what's going on in there. We don't know what's what's brewing. Yeah, what are you doing in there? <laughs> what's going on? So, so combined with paranoia and distrust in public entities, distrust in mainstream society, this leads to the person being very paranoid and risk-averse about like potential illness mm. caused by pollutants in the air, in the food. Uh, a little hypochondric almost. Yeah, like, uh, you know, the pharma industry. Mm. Doing, don't trust aspirin. Yeah. Don't, don't trust aspirin. And they believe that this can only be treated or illness can only be prevented if you... Uh, increase and emphasize health enhancing behaviors so for them it's kind of like a balancing act and often what this means is supplements and pseudo scientific fad diets like you know like, juice cleanses yeah. fasting keto keto um paleo. Raw, raw veganism is really common yeah. and i one thing i don't have beef with is veganism because i think there's a lot of very good reasons to be a vegan yeah uh, but healthy vegan eating is objectively like a better it's like one of the best diets that you can have yeah if it's a healthy balanced type of vegan exactly eating. exactly like, and not just like i'm gonna eat nuts and roots and that's it i'm gonna eat a carrot but I'm only gonna, if i grew it myself i'm and gonna eat uh, raw tomatoes because uh cooking tomatoes ruins the nutrients and also um you need to eat food that is alive um, because... <laughs> if it uh, dies, it because, it's toxic. Because food that is dead um, carries negative energy. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's the stupid thing, right? Because, like, obje objectively, like, you do reduce a lot of, like, health risks by eating a vegan diet. Like, but you need to be, like, normal about you it. You need to be normal about <laughs> it. You need to eat, like, a normal, like, balanced, varied type of, like, diet. You can't just eat... You can't just eat tomatoes mm -hmm. that you grew yourself in the garden. So... Hiding from... F the FBI. <laughs> so fast. Tinfoil in your head. Um, yeah, the tinfoil thing is... The tinfoil is going to come in a bit. Is that... Oh, no. Yeah. Hold on. So, um, yeah, so fat diets are a thing. And then, like I said, like colon cleansing, chiropractic adjustments for babies. Huge, huge, huge. thing. I've seen that. Like um, three-day-old babies. Needs they don't spine, even have, spine realigned. They don't even have... This, the spine hasn't even fused yet. The spine is a noodle. <laughs> This, this spine is cartilage. Like, what are you talking about? It's a baby. Um, what kind of stress do you need to relieve? Being with the stress of being born. Chelation therapy, which is a, a type of therapy re that removes metals from the bloodstream, and I thought you were going to say butthole. <laughs> Shit, maybe. <laughs> um, and Faraday cages. And if you don't know, that's a cage made up of conductive materials that is meant to block electromagnetic fields, and it's just a more expensive version of the tinfoil hat. Yeah. Because they use those in, like, electrical science a lot. Because a Faraday cage is, a, like, a re it's a real tool it, yeah. that people can yeah. use, right? But, like, you don't... You need that, like, if you work in, like, a power plant or if you do, like, Tesla coil work. Mm -hmm. Like, if you work with if you work with electricity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and power generation, yeah, you need Faraday cages because you can't be electrocuted. But if you're in your home... You don't need to sleep in one. You, you don't, don't know. Like, you don't need to live in one. You don't need to live wrapped in tinfoil, like a halloumi wrap. Yeah. Um, and I just want to say that, like, orthorexics and people belonging, even to this li lifestyle, like, mm. there, obviously it's a spectrum. Like, not everybody's going to be an extremism. So, you know, the Faraday cage thing is definitely a more extreme example. Not everybody does that. I just wanted yeah. to have that said, because yeah. then I don't want people coming after me <laughs> for, you know... You forgot the Faraday cages. No, no, no. More in the sense of, like, you know, oh, you're spreading, like, misinformation oh, about yeah. people with this well, lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course. So mostly orthorexics focus on fad diets, like I said, like raw food, veganism, elimination diets, alkaline diets. What's an elimination diet? Oh, which, oh. <laughs> Is that when you just eliminate like a type of food? It's basically when you um, start uh, with very basic foods and then every week you add more foods. So then if you suddenly start feeling a little sick, then you know what foods caused it. Oh yeah, so that's it, but it's very restrictive, and like most people don't need it. Like if you have a lot of allergies, I guess it works. Or I guess like yeah. IBS. But if you're a healthy that, person, yeah, 
if you're a healthy person, like eliminating onion is not gonna yeah. make you mortal. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they also really love supplementation. So supplements to achieve optimal health and aid detoxification and prevent everything and cure everything from acne to allergies to IBS to autism to cancer. Um, but ultimately, this kind of diet is very restrictive. It's very isolating. It's yeah. very expensive because CMOS gelatin and adaptogenic mushroom coffee is certainly not cheap. What the fuck is adaptogenic mushroom coffee? It's like these special mushrooms. That's the mushroom- thing from The Last of Us. <laughs> it's okay. So it's like, let me tell you. It's these special mushrooms, uh, kind of rare, I guess. And they think that if you eat those mushrooms, your body will... The mushrooms contain nutrients that your body will only take up if you are lacking that nutrient or some weird shit like this. Like, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is. But like adaptogenic, it's because your body adapts or something weird like that. Like, I've never... That's... Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, But anyway, so orthorexia is, you know, expensive, restrictive, isolating. It can lead to other eating disorders like anorexia because you get a little too too, too intense. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's overall just overkill. Like at some point, it's really just a matter of diminishing returns. Like just eat a lot of vegetables, reduce meat and dairy, find a type of exercise that you can enjoy and can do sustainably and get a lot of sleep and try to not be super stressed, like reduce stress. Especially because, um, like, this type of lifestyle, like, probably increases the stress you have. For sure. Which is, which is unhealthy. For sure. Because for every meal, you're going to be like, oh, my God, am I getting... Am like, I getting these nutrients? Am I getting these micronutrients? Yeah. Yeah. So, pers- my personal opinion on this, and I have a lot of opinions <laughs> about food and eating, because I've spent... I'm 27 years old, and I am a... I'm a woman. I've been exposed a lot to like unhealthy eating habits and body image issues. So I've had a lot of time to work through it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the conclusion that I've arrived is that health is not just about eating healthy. Mental health is part of health. And if you force yourself to eat healthy all the time and that makes you miserable, like, girly, you're not healthy. Yeah. You're not going to have a good time. You're not going to, you're, you're not going to have a good time and you're not going to be healthy. Like it's yeah. much more healthy to allow yourself to eat like fast food once in a while and like just move on with your life than it is to restrict and not allow yourself to eat anything. And then so like, which makes you spend like all your time thinking about how much you want to have some chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. So let yourself have treats once in a while. It won't kill you and it will most likely make you happier. <laughs> Those are my conclusions on the matter. It took me only 10 years to, pers- <laughs> to arrive. <laughs> um, it takes a long time to go through this stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So the prescription that the podcast has for our audience is take it easy, lemon squeezy. So that is our episode on eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, what the wild world of eating disorders and the various types it has and how weirdly normalized some of them are Mm -hmm. and how unfortunate it is that some people have to that some people have to deal with them yeah and i do want to say like i the previous section i kind of ended it on a note of like well just eat like just have a good time yeah and of course what you eat like you choose some of some of these things you do choose yeah but Eating disorders are like more about just choosing to eat a certain mm-hmm. way. I like that's not the the note that I want to end on. That you should just like oh just just be happy. Eating disorders are a mental illness. They are an unhealthy coping mechanism. People use it to manage emotions, stress, difficult events, trauma, and eating disorders are very difficult to overcome, especially by yourself. So, you know, if you are struggling with one, with one like. I know. I know it's hard. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. Uh, please. And I think, like, our advice is more, you know, we're not really aiming our advice to people who are, like, struggling with their own mental health in this way, but yeah. rather, like, as a sort of warning to people yeah. who maybe aren't. Because if you start thinking about mm-hmm. food in certain ways, right, then that mm-hmm. can lead to a pattern of behavior. It's like a gradual process. Exactly. And, like, like I, I guess that's sort of where our advice is coming yeah, to. Yeah, I think that's, like if that's you're, what I mean. Yeah. And then, and then if you're further down that, you know, then you seek, might, seeking you help. Might, you might it, need help. Yeah. Exactly. And there's 
There's nothing wrong with seeking help. You you should. The only thing wrong with seeking help is that there should be more help to be able to seek. You know? Yeah. Like, and that's not and that's not on you. That's on the government. And that's on society. Once again, once again, we live in a society. Society. But that's our episode. How do you feel about this massively long episode? I just hope people enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> My main uh, goal with these episodes is that uh, people like them. Is that people like them? Yeah. And everybody has a good time. Um, I had a good time. I had a good time. Did you have a good time? Yes. Yes. I would have had a better time if we didn't have to re-record this three-hour episode. Well, that's. <laughs> but such is life. Such is life. All right. But you're going to be hardcore on the backups from now on, I feel like. If we lose this recording, too, I'm... This time you're getting mad at me. This you time did... I'm... <laughs> yeah. You didn't get mad at me the first time around, but the second time... Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The second... No. No. I could never be mad at you, my dear co-host. People it... make mistakes, and um, it's not your fault. And it's not my fault. It's kind of my fault. It's not your fault. Anyway... Uh, we've been Leechfest. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, rate us. Leave a review. A nice one. Um, and if you have disposable income... <laughs> Support us on Patreon. Support us on Patreon. It keeps the lights on. And also... It's nice. It's nice. We and you like, get video. Like it. Yeah. You get shit. Like, and you... People like getting stuff. So it's not just that you're supporting us, which you're doing, but you're also getting something out of it. And that's fun. Soon we will reach a point on Patreon where uh, I think we're going to be able to do an episode where, or it's not an episode, but like extra content where people ask us questions, mm. a little Q&A session. So if you want to get in on that. Get on the ground floor. All right. Hope you enjoyed the episode and we will see you on the next one. Bye.